0: we read from psalm 22 verses 1 to 8 15 to 18 on page 554 in the pew bibles my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from the wounds words of my groaning oh my god i cry out by day but you do not answer by night and i'm not silent Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl incense, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potchard. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, which can be found on page 1083 beginning with verse 9. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Where well, the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Amen. Peace sit down. Well, this small, rather nondescript looking book is a very important book to me. Under the royal artillery symbol is the title the history of 353 London Medium Regiment, R.A.T.A. A -A. A regiment founded in 1861 until it disbanded in 1961. In the Second World War, the regiment was part of the British Expeditionary Force, which was evacuated at Dunkirk, and later it was involved in crossing the Rhine near the end of hostilities. It's written in a fairly matter-of-fact tone, It lists every casualty by name. It's a reminder of the personal cost paid for the freedoms we so often take for granted today. And the reason the book is important to me is that my father served in the regiment together with other family members. And it has given me an insight into that whole period of events. And many of you I know will have similar family histories. And since then, sadly, our armed forces have continued to be involved in war in areas such as Korea in the 1950s, and now Iraq and Afghanistan, closer to home in Northern Ireland. And so today on Remembrance Sunday, we recall with great gratitude those who have died and those who have been left terribly wounded as a result of war. There are the physical wounds which can indeed be life changing for the individuals concerned and for their families. But often just as damaging are those wounds that cannot be seen, the emotional and mental scars. But why is it important to hold this service each year? Isn't it so that we do not forget? And the majority, of course, have, of us have never been involved in any battle we have little idea of what war is really like. The 1998 film Saving Private Ryan, although not a true story, gives a very graphic sense of the terrible realities of war. It focuses on a platoon of soldiers facing tanks and enemy fire, and they are sent on a rescue mission. The Ryan family have lost three out of four brothers, and the American command have deemed it necessary that the last surviving brother, James Ryan, missing in action somewhere in Normandy, should be rescued. And the hope is that the family will therefore not suffer the catastrophic loss of all their sons. The rescue mission is led by a Captain Miller, who together with his men succeed in rescuing Private Ryan. However, the cost is very high, and nearly all the rescuing platoon are killed, including Captain Miller. As he lies mortally wounded, Miller says to Private Ryan, James, earn this. Earn it. And the film ends with an elderly James Ryan in a Normandy military cemetery, standing with his family at Captain Miller's grave. And Ryan expresses the hope that by the life he has lived, the sacrifice of those men has been worthwhile. And his wife affirms that it has indeed. As we remember today the sacrifice of so many, let us make sure that their sacrifice was worthwhile by aiming to preserve those freedoms they fought for at such cost. But there was another sacrifice, this time not of a many, but of one man. And his death has its effect not just in this life, but for all eternity. I imagine there's not one person here who has not at one time asked, why? Why all the wars? Why all the famine, disease, and suffering? Why do people get away with terrible evil? like the barbarity we've seen in the Middle East in recent years, or the drug barons who get rich on the proceeds of countless ruined lives. We may find ourselves asking questions like, why doesn't God intervene? Doesn't God care? I want to highlight four Bible truths today that answer those two important questions with absolute certainty. And my first point is this. God hates evil and all the suffering it brings. God hates evil and all the suffering it brings. He is implacably opposed to it, and we can be sure the kind of sufferings we think about today, the millions of young lives felled in the trenches of the First World War, the millions exterminated in the concentration camps in the Second World War, we can be sure that none of those evils has gone unnoticed by God. And he will see to it that no one will go unpunished. For the Bible tells us that at the end of time, every man and woman will have to give account to God for the way we have lived. And there will be judgment and final destruction of all evil. And it is because God hates evil so much that we have the second great truth. God has already intervened. God has already intervened. The truth which supremely divides Christianity from all other world religions is that God does not stand aloof from our suffering. He is not like some spectator of the Roman gladiatorial combats watching pain and death as a form of perverted entertainment. God in Christ actually entered this world, and he knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be exhausted and hungry. He knew what it was to be homeless. He knew what it was to be misunderstood by his family, denied by a friend, betrayed by a colleague. He knew what it was to be bereaved, When he saw the death of his friend Lazarus, and above all, he knew what it was to die. Would you turn to Psalm 22? It's on page 554, 554. This is a remarkable psalm written about a thousand years before the death of Christ, And no other psalm fits so closely the detailed events around his death. No other psalm is quoted so frequently in the New Testament. Just think for a moment of the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and then consider these verses. The mockery and the scorn. Look at verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. In Matthew 27, we read, They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it upon his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And then verse 18 of Psalm 22, They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Matthew 27 When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The mocking, the humiliation, and the terrible physical pain. But that was not the worst of it. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And now listen to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And the words of Jesus are so precious, they are preserved in Aramaic. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There it is again. That word, why? The cry of dereliction from the lips of the Son of God, who in that moment knew what it was to be truly God forsaken. But why was he God forsaken? The fact is that Jesus came expressly to die. Listen to the words of Hebrews 9. But now he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus was God-forsaken because on the cross he took the sins of the whole world on himself and he paid the penalty for that, namely, in a dreadful moment of death and separation from God the Father. But death could not hold him. It had no control or mastery over him. For Jesus rose from the dead and in doing so he defeated death, the last great enemy. And anyone who personally puts their trust in the risen Christ will also know resurrection from the dead and eternal life with God. What a sacrifice. What a victory. God has indeed intervened in history. He deliberately entered our world to deal with suffering and evil. But why did Jesus do all this? And the answer lies in our second reading, in John 15, verse 13. And it's my third point. God does care. His love for us is greater than any of us can imagine. So Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He was looking ahead to his own death and telling his disciples that it was because of his love for them that he was about to die. Today, we honor all those men and women who laid down their lives for friends, family, and country. And their sacrifice points to the sacrifice that Christ was looking towards when he spoke of no greater love. For Jesus' sacrifice didn't just bring freedom for this life. The victory he won was for all eternity. The victory he won means that no one in church today need ever fear death again. The victory he won has brought eternity within the reach of every one of us. Everyone who enlists to follow him. Everyone who responds to his love everyone who commits their lives to him. And all this because God does care. He cared enough to let his only son die the death we deserve to die. He loves you and me more than we will ever know. And it's because God cares for us so much that he needs us to be aware of the fourth great truth. There's a war on. There's a battle for our souls. But Christ's victory is certain. Some may be well aware of this spiritual battle. Just when everything seems to be going well, your relationship with Christ is deepening, everything starts to go wrong and you sense you're under Satan's spiritual attack. We need to realize that behind all that spoils this world, there's a fierce battle raging between God and the forces of good and Satan and the powers of darkness. And that is why when we try to follow God, we so often come up against opposition, whether it's from the world around us or even from within our own hearts. But the difference between this war and the other wars we remember today, the difference is that the outcome is already known. God has already defeated Satan on the cross. And we know for certain that one day death and evil will be no more. As one writer put it, having just read the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, I've read to the end of the story and we win. The moment we put our lives into the hands of Jesus Christ, the moment we put our faith in what He did for us on the cross, we become part of a multitude that cannot be numbered of those whose hearts have been changed, whose lives have been transformed. And God's solution is the changing of the human heart, and it works these changes may seem miraculous. A member of the IRA and a Protestant extremist in Northern Ireland both converted to Christ in prison, both working to bring together the good news of what Jesus did on the cross to set people free. And down through history and worldwide today, men and women are fighting in the name of Christ against injustice, poverty and evil. And one of our mission partners is currently working for the International Justice Ministry in Asia just to do that. It does not mean that it will be plain sailing. For until the day we die, we will all fail God, we will all let him down, we will all let others down. And we will constantly need to ask God's forgiveness as we wage the battle for our own souls. Each of us sees only our small front line of the battlefield, but it's God who sees the whole. He knows the end from the beginning. And one day we shall see it too, when all that is evil disappears, even that evil which is within ourselves, and all that is beautiful and perfect remains that is what we are moving towards that is the sure and certain destination for everyone who follows christ let us pray a moment of quiet as we consider our own battle the battle for our souls heavenly father on this sunday of all sundays as we remember the sacrifice of so many, may we too not only remember the sacrifice of Jesus, but come with a deep sense of gratitude and a desire to offer our lives afresh in his service, for his transformation, for his new life. Amen.